I want to thank you, uh, Father Brady, for his very, very kind words. I'm no better of a singer than he is, so I'm not going to belabor you with any kind of singing. But why don't we go ahead and begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. St. Landry, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So again, it's great to be with all of you all here in Opelousas on this beautiful spring evening. As I'm sure a lot of you know, I'm going to be talking over the course of the next three days about the topic of prayer. I'm going to tell you right now, I am not a saint. I not levitating when I pray, I do not have the stigmata, but from now 18 years of doing spiritual direction, and particularly the past eight, and working with young people who have a great desire to grow in holiness, I've gotten a lot of questions about prayer, about spirituality, about how to make progress in the spiritual life. And, and I've begun to notice, over the course of the past year, that there's sort of a common struggle that a lot of people have. I don't think it matters if you're young, if you're old, and that's people feeling sort of an inadequacy in their prayer life. Maybe they don't pray enough, or they feel their prayer isn't good enough, too distracted, or, or maybe they're not praying enough or doing enough in prayer. Sometimes they may feel that their prayer is actually not pleasing to God. It's not good enough for Him, or that He's not listening, or they feel that the Lord tends to be very distant from them. And so as a result, see a lot of people get very, very frustrated. A lot of people get very, very discouraged, and some even want to throw in the towel and give up prayer. So how many of you, we can just do a raise of hands, how many of you have ever maybe experienced any of this? You can raise your hand. Look at that. We have a lot of very holy people here. But we also have some people who, of course, are struggling. And so that's what I want to talk about today, at least the basis of our reflections. Why is this? Why is it that so many people tend to struggle or experience an inadequacy in their prayer life. And I've come to believe that it is fundamentally not about the fact that they're not good at praying or that God is not listening to their prayer, but a fundamental misunderstanding about what prayer is. And so once this is cleared up, and this is a lot of the work that I do, I find for people they don't necessarily feel they, they've become, you know, St. Teresa of Avila or John Paul II, but prayer becomes a little easier, a lot more at peace, a lot less distress. And so it's this insight, this secret, if you will, that I want to share with you tonight. So for many people, though, this fundamental issue or the misunderstanding is that prayer is about doing something. Prayer is an activity that we do. It could be reading scripture, making petitions, talking to God, praying our rosaries, doing novenas, journaling. Prayer is about doing something. We may be in the church, we may be at home, but we've got to have that time occupied something that we're doing, and maybe even trying to achieve something, making progress in the spiritual life. We even hear it when people say, man, I've got to go do my prayers. It's about doing. It's about achieving something. So what happens is, when we don't live up to our often very flawed expectations about what we think prayer should be, or what type of activity prayer should be in our lives, we don't feel that we're where we should be, or we're not doing enough, or activity's not good enough, that we're failing, we're often too distracted, whatever it is, we believe that we're not doing good enough. 
Maybe we're disappointing God. And so what happens is we get really, really discouraged and are tempted to give up because we're not doing enough or maybe we're not praying well enough. And so if we want to overcome this and find some peace and some hope to really grow in our spiritual lives, we are going to have to change our understanding about prayer being something essentially that we do, an activity, something that we achieve, or even an art or a technique. Before I give you the secret, I want to talk a little bit about why this is. Why we as Catholics, and I'm sure other denominations feel the same way or experience the same thing, why do we approach prayer primarily as an activity, as doing something? Now, I'm sure I could give a whole talk on this, but I want to go down just a few of the main reasons. And, and I would hope that maybe I'd see some shaking ahead saying, yeah, I'm guilty of that. Well, that's something that I've come to believe, or maybe something that I was taught when I was younger. The big part of it is, and I think it's something that most all of us struggle with, particularly young people, is cultural. We live in such a busy society. The frenetic pace, traffic, and noise. We're running out shopping. We're watching things on television. We're so involved with family and work and school, always something going on. When you ask people, I mean, I'm sure we all do it. Father, how's your day? Oh, I'm really busy. Well, what are you busy with? Well, I'm just really, really busy. We can't tell you with what, but we can't sit still. We're always so distracted because of the pace of life. And I think a lot of the times, too, our technology, whether it be our phones or whether it be the television or the internet, can often distract us. <coughs> it can produce that ADD. And I was reading the other day that for a lot of young people today, we don't even know how to read anymore because we're so used to reading things on our phone and sit down and actually read a book becomes very, very difficult. And so in general, though, because of the noise of our society and that frenetic activity, I even think it's probably much busier in a rural community than it was a hundred years ago, we have a hard time just being quiet. We have a hard time keeping our mind and our hearts focused. We get fidgety, especially get very, very fidgety. The second thing is that we as individuals, a lot of the times, feel that we need to be productive. We need to be producing something, showing results. You learn that at school. You learn that at work. I need you to be productive. If you're not productive, you're not going to make a good grade. You're not going to pass. You're not going to get that promotion. We're always about getting things done. We've got our calendars. We've got our, 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 our apps that help us do all of our tasks. I mean, I've got those too. We're always wanting to do more. It's never enough. We have to produce more. Maybe so we can make more money. Maybe so we can feel better about ourselves. Maybe so we can impress that girl so she'll go on a date with us, whatever it is. We always feel that we have to produce. Now, some may say, well, it's rooted in the Protestant work ethic that affects even Catholics in the United States. But the truth is that desire, that need to produce often seeps into our spiritual lives. We've got to be doing something, producing holiness. We've got to be doing more, praying more novenas, multiplying our devotions. We need to show results, not only maybe to other people so they can see how holy we are, but God, of course. He's like that boss that is going to give us an evaluation. And if we're not producing, if we don't have enough rosaries, enough holy hours, enough masses, if we're not focused, then we are going to suffer. So we believe that maybe God's going to sort of judge us or evaluate us, and we want to be able to evaluate our own spiritual lives. We evaluate so many other things, our work or our school. Our culture's about that. I think when sports, how do you know that a pitcher is good? 
He's got a really low ERA. How do you know a quarterback is good? He has a really high quarterback rating. You can quantify these things. You can measure these things. And so we want to measure our spiritual life. But the fact of the matter is you can't. You can't say, oh, well, I'm a little bit closer to being a saint. I'm a little bit holier. Because if you do that, you're prideful and you're probably not. There's no measurement that Jesus gave besides are you growing in love. But even then, how do you know where you really are? Number three, one of the things that sort of produces this idea, we're going to get into this one a lot more over the course of the retreat, or the mission together, is our attitude towards God. How we see God or how we interact with Him. So many times we want to produce and we want to do in prayer because we want to gain God's attention. It's like the kid who wants to gain his father's attention. Hey, pay attention to me. Look how, look how many roses I prayed today. Look how well I did. Children do that with their parents. Look how much I'm going to do. I'm going to really impress you and get your attention. Sometimes we maybe feel that we not only need to get God's attention, but we need to earn his love. Boy, oh boy, if I do this 40 days of fasting and prayer, you know, if I, if I go to Mass every day during Lent, God's going to love me. And if I don't, or if I fail, He's going to say, oh, well, I don't know. I'm not going to love you as much. And what happens is, is we don't really see God as our Heavenly Father, but we see Him as the judge with a scorecard. He's like the, the judges in the Olympics. Oh, well, Father didn't plant that triple axle well. He's only getting a 7.5. He's not getting the 10.0. And of course, I'm not really going to win the prize. And so maybe sometimes, and we're going to flesh this out too, the reason we do it is because we didn't have a good relationship with our earthly father. Maybe there was some stress with our parents. We felt we needed to impress them. And so now we project that on God the Father. We felt we needed to earn their love. And now we feel we need to earn our father's love. Number four, and this is an interesting one, and so often we can fall into this idea of seeing prayer as a technique or as an art to master. And a lot of the times it's our own idea. Well, well, this is what goes into making good prayer. This is what goes into the art of praying. This is the type of prayer I'd like to have or the saint I'd like to be. Maybe it's something that we learned it as a child. This is how you should pray. This is what goes into prayer. And so, like martial arts, or playing an instrument, or learning music, we figure that if we learn the basics, if we practice really hard, or maybe if we even find a guru, or some people say, well, where's the instruction manual? Give me that instruction manual. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to become a saint next week. I'm going to master it. I'm going to go take some lessons in how to pray. And if we are really, really passionate, when we're going to go on retreats, we're going to seek out spiritual directors, we're going to do everything, and hopefully we can learn the path to being a mystic, to being a great saint. And of course, we're going to be graded upon it, to see how well we do. We're going to like a, in martial arts, you're going to get your yellow belt, and then your green belt, and then up to your black belt, and then you're a saint, you're holy because you've mastered the technique. You've become a great saint, a great prayer. But the fact of the matter is, prayer's not about a technique, as we're going to see. It's not an art that you can master. Prayer is about relationship. And even there, there are certain things that certainly make relationships good. You can't pick up a textbook and say, well, this is how I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to follow all this, and all of a sudden I'm going to be a great husband. If it was only that easy, huh? It's not. Next, number five, it's sort of tied to this. And this is something that's really, really affecting a lot of our young people, particularly our young women. And that is perfectionism. The roots can run really, really deep and often tie with that desire to be perfect, to impress our parents. But what happens is, as it passes from academics or work or our appearance or our relationships into our spiritual lives, we feel that God wants us to be perfect. Now granted, Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, but he was talking about loving your enemies. 
He wasn't expecting us never to make a mistake. If he did, he wouldn't have given us confession. He knows we're going to fail. He knows we are not perfect. He wants us to try. But if we are plagued by perfectionism, particularly in our spiritual life, I've got to be really, really devout. I can't be distracted. I've got to give enough time to Jesus. My prayer has to be absolutely perfect. What's going to happen is, well, we might drive ourselves crazy. You might also drive your priest crazy. That's also another possibility. But what's going to happen is, when we fail, when we're not perfect, we're going to get discouraged and say, I give up. God doesn't love me. I'm no good. I'm a sinner. Or even worse, and I've seen this, we might say, if I can't do it perfectly, I'm not going to do it at all. Like we may say, well, I'm not going to pick up cooking because if I don't I'm the absolute best, I'm not even going to try. I'm not going to pick up singing because if I, if I miss a note, then I'm not even going to try. And some people say, well, because I know that I can't be a saint. I know that I can't do it perfectly. I'm not even going to try. Number six, and I'm giving you a lot of these, but they're important, I think, is the fear of vulnerability. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. And so what happens is we're going to go to prayer. I'm ready to go. So I've got my rosary. Then I'm going to do my three novenas. And then I'm going to meditate on the scripture. And then I'm going to pray evening prayer. Then I'm going to journal. And my holy hour's done. Boy, look how much I packed into it. It's like, I've done so much. The Lord's going to be happy. And we're going to look at people like, look how much that person does. They have all these rosaries hanging from them. They've got their journal. They're going to Mass all the time. They must be holy. But in reality, I'm not saying everybody's doing this. I'm going to explain this in a second. What happens is all of that is a way to be distracted and keep busy so we don't have to have the Lord in our heart. We've met people like that who are so busy all the time and they're moving around and they're doing stuff. And the real issue is it's not bad, but they're just scared of letting people get close, letting people love them. And we can do that with Jesus all the time. You can spend three hours a day in prayer, but never let the Lord get close because you're scared of being hurt, possibly because you've been hurt before. Do, 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 active, 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 but we're afraid to let the Lord get close. And why? Because if you let the Jesus get close, we're going to kind of be fearful that maybe he'll see who we really are and reject us. Or even worse, he might expect a lot of us. And so this is wonderful analogy. It's like when you go to the beach and you're at a condo. You know, every condo has like the, the, the condo pool. You like to stay at the condo pool, but right across the boardwalk's the beach. But you're going to stay in the pool all the time because it's safe there. But if you walk into the ocean, well, you don't know where that ocean is going to take you. You don't know what's going to happen. So we want to be safe with our little routine, our activity. And we're going to have a good time and we're going to not be evil people but we're scared of allowing the Lord to draw close to us. But ultimately, the real issue is this. That for so many of us, and I've fallen into this too, y'all, I'm guilty of it also. The issue is that in our minds, prayer becomes primarily about something that we do. We put the burden on us. Prayer's about me. I've got to put the most effort into it. I have to do the best. It all depends on me. Now granted, maybe we feel, well, I've got to, it all depends on me because I'm here to grow. I want to be a saint. I want to know everything. I want to judge if I prayed well, when the reality is we're not really interested in a relationship with God. We're just interested in bettering ourselves. That's pride. Prayer is about that relationship, not how well you can do it. A lot of the times, we also want to control our spiritual lives, or even God. But ultimately, it comes down to whatever the reason that we think it all depends on us, on our work, on our effort, on the energy we put into it. But the fact of the matter is, is we're going to bear out over the course of the coming nights. Prayer is not about what we do, but what the Lord does in us. Prayer is not about what we do, about our effort, about the energy we put into it, about how much we do, but how much the Lord does in us. That's the key. 
So a lot of the inspiration for this talk and some of the other talks comes from this Carmelite sister uh, named Sister Ruth Burroughs. She's an English Carmelite sister, and she wrote this really good book called The Essence of Prayer. Now, she's Carmelite, so the first half really deals with prayer and some wonderful insights. The second is really specific to Carmelite saints and Carmelite spirituality. So if you're interested in that, the whole book's going to be fantastic. But I'm going to quote her a couple of times today and throughout the course of the retreat from this book, The Essence of Prayer. But here she sums this up. Our Christian knowledge assures us that prayer is essentially what God does. How God addresses us, looks at us. It is not primarily something we are doing to God, something we are giving to God, but what God is doing for us. And what God is doing for us is giving us his divine self in love. Does this make sense, y'all? I mean, I don't care. Maybe you say, well, I got all seven of those errors. Maybe some people have three. Maybe you only have one. But it all comes down to we put the burden on ourselves to pray well. It's not what it is at all. So, what's the secret? What's the secret for our understanding to get past this idea that prayer is essentially about what we do or about activity or about doing something. So I want to propose one that's going to sort of act as, let's say, a foundation for our entire time together, for our entire mission. In a certain way, the other talks are going to build off of it. I don't know how because I haven't written the other talks yet, but but trust in the Holy Spirit. I'm not doing it all myself. And there are many definitions. You can look at the catechism. You can look at scripture. You can ask Father Brady. He's going to tell you what he thinks prayer is. We all have definitions. And they're all good. None of them fully encapsulate or capture what prayer actually is. But what I'm going to offer today is not so much a definition because prayer is such a mystery to describe what prayer is more like than something else. And I'm going to compare it to doing. Prayer, indeed, there's an aspect of doing, but the secret is this. To really understand prayer. To really have the chance to grow in prayer, even though we're not going to really be able to evaluate ourselves well. We have to understand that prayer is more about being than about doing. Prayer, prayer is more about being than about doing. If you like math, you know the little greater than sign. It's going to be eating being rather than doing. If we can come to understand this and let it sink from our head into our heart, it will change the way we pray. We may not pray any better. We may not feel any holier. But at least, hopefully, we won't allow ourselves to get discouraged. Prayer is essentially about being with the Father. Being with Jesus. We don't need to do anything. We just need to learn to be. Now I'm not saying that doing is not important or that prayer isn't doing. Remember, I said it's the greater than sign. I don't want anybody to go and say, Father Sidley said, praying the rosary is bad. Or reading the Bible is bad. No, I did not say that at all. Well, you should do these things. Look, i got the rosary in my pocket. But if being with the Lord is not the foundation, and all it is is a bunch of activity that's flitting around like a bunch of little kittens or something, then the heart really isn't there. We want to be able to do these things we're talking about the essence of what prayer is. Being with the Lord. I think probably the, from a scriptural perspective, for me, the most beautiful way to, to describe this, and again, I'm going to talk a lot about the Father. I'm going to talk about Jesus. Later, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. But when it comes to, so I, I, they're not interchangeable, but I'm going to kind of use them interchangeable. Being with the Father, being with Jesus who shows us the Father. This is John chapter 1. You know the story of John the Baptist who says, say, look, it's the Lamb of God. And so the apostles go and say, Lord, where are you staying? 
And he says, come and see. And Scripture says, they stayed with him that day. Prayer is about staying with the Lord. And we don't know what they did. Maybe they played bourree. Maybe they ate. I have no idea. But they didn't say, the apostles went and did some stuff with Jesus. They stayed with the Lord. They were with him. They were being with him. Now, another warning. I am not saying that prayer is ultimately about quietism. This is one of the heresies of the church, where we just got to sit and do nothing. Nor am I saying this is an excuse to use your holy hour for nap time. We're going to talk about falling asleep during prayer, but it's not an excuse for that. We've got to be engaged. It's okay to do sometimes. But the most important thing is being with the Lord, being present to Him, and allowing Him to be present to us. So, even though it's a mystery, and I think maybe we can sort of understand this, how do we describe this being with God, being with the Father, being with Jesus? It's more than just being as in like Zen meditation. I'm going to connect with the spheres. I'm going to blank my mind out and achieve transcendental meditation. It's more than just being, but as you've heard, it's being with. It implies a relationship. It's not like a technique you can learn like Zen Buddhism, when you learn the technique and you learn just to be, to achieve nirvana. It's about being with, it's about a relationship. But not just any relationship, although we're going to talk about how our relationships do and can impact our relationship with God. But it's about a relationship, being with a God who is revealed as Father, who loves us as His children. And so this being with has got to be rooted in a belief in and an experience of, ideally, of God the Father's love for us. It's a God whose love we don't need to win. We don't need to impress Him with how well we pray, with how much we do. He loves us already. And this is the key phrase, which along with, I think, prayer is more about being than about doing, that if you can listen and understand it, it can be transformative. The second sort of secret that I'll give you today, that because of this understanding of who God the Father is and our relationship with Him and how we can be with Him, we understand that God loves us for who we are, not for what we do. God the Father loves each and every one of us for who we are, not for what we do. It sounds nice, and maybe you understand it in your mind, but we've got to be able to understand it in our hearts, in the core of our being. We need to learn to just be with Him. And He's going to love us just because we are sitting there with Him, to allow Him to love us. Again, from Sister Ruth Burroughs, on our side, prayer is simply being there, open, exposed, inviting God to do all that He wants. Prayer is not our activity, our getting in touch with God, our coming to grips with, with making ourselves desirable to God. That's ultimately what many of us want. We can do none of these things, nor do we need to, for God is there ready to do everything for us loving us unconditionally. This is something that a lot of us don't really believe in our hearts. And so as a result, we figure we're going to do a bunch of stuff to gain the Lord's approval, to win His love. If I do this novena, then God's going to love me. If I receive the Eucharist really reverently, then He's going to be impressed with me. But that's not the case. We don't need to be doing, we don't need to be productive for the Lord to love us. And I'll give you a few examples. Think of the father who walks in and sees his child sleeping. Does the father say, man, that kid's not being productive. He could be mowing the lawn. He could be cooking me breakfast. He's just sleeping. Does the father love him any less because he's not doing anything? Does the father love him any less because he's not productive? No. 
Robert, Father loves him more because he sees the gentleness, the quiet. He probably loves him more because he's not aggravating him and screaming around and destroying things, probably. And that may be the case. Or think of the father who's holding his little baby. Many of you may remember that or experience that. The, the child is really, think of it, a kid is a child, a baby's useless, completely unproductive, except when he puts in his diapers, but he's, he's unproductive. He's not useful to culture or society, at least not now. But does the father say, well, I'm not going to really love you because you're not, you're just sitting here crying. No, he loves him even more because it's his son, it's his daughter. It's so, so tender the love that father shows to the baby. And the baby is certainly not doing anything to win the father's love. And certainly a father loves his child whenever he or she does well or, or is proud when he makes, she makes the great grade or, or gets the good job or is married. My father indeed is proud for us and we can do things that make him proud. But he doesn't love us any less if we fail or if we don't do it perfectly or we make the B on the test or we fall asleep during our novena or we don't go to Mass every single day. It should never be an excuse to say, well, the Lord's going to love me no matter what I do, so let me go, you know, cook some crystal meth. No, it doesn't work that way. We can't use it for an excuse to sin, but think of the example of the father and the prodigal son. Not only was the son sort of a failure, he wasted all of his money, when he came back, he received him. It's the job of the father. He doesn't judge. When we go back, he's happy to receive us in his arms, whether we've sinned or whether we've just failed or we feel that we're not perfect. The Father ultimately, like the Father should enjoy being with his children. The Father enjoys being with us. When we show up, we don't have to do anything. We don't have to bring anything. He's just happy to have us there. The Father delights in our presence. Now, you've heard this said before, but it's really true. And if we believe it, we realize we don't gotta bring anything. We don't have to say the best prayers. We don't have to be the most focused. He's going to love us anyhow. And so this is essentially what prayer is. More being than doing but being with the Father, being present to Him. And when we are, and when we grow in that and experience His love, there comes a great confidence, a great knowledge of His love for us that, like many of the great saints, enables us to become truly holy. Now, it sounds great, Father, it's so easy. I'm just going to go hang out. I'm going to be with Jesus. It's going to be easy. But as I'm sure we know, if it was that easy, well, look, I'd just drop the mic and walk off. But it's a challenge. Like so many things in life, and specifically in the spiritual life, it is easier said than done. And so I see a lot of people who say, granted, Father, <coughs> it's true, but it's so hard. I go to the chapel, go for a holy hour, and I say, Lord, I'm just going to be with you but my mind is so distracted. I'm thinking about what I'm gonna cook for dinner. I'm thinking about that thing I gotta do later in the week. I'm, I'm upset about something. My mind's all over the place. I can't be quiet. My brain is just like a bunch of bees. I'm sure we've all experienced that, haven't we? And we say, well, my prayer's not good. But ultimately, you gotta understand, prayer's not about the head. It's not about thinking primarily. It's about the heart. It's about loving. And so, even though our minds may be all over the place, the Lord knows, are you here because you love me? Because you want to spend time with me? I don't care where your brain is. Do your best to stay focused, but I'm happy that you're here. Our heart is focused on Jesus. That's what matters, not so much our mind. So I use this example. So imagine that you're sick and you're in the hospital. You're laying down in bed, you just had surgery, you're kind of in and out of consciousness. And it's that dark room, you know, at the hospital, it's really quiet at night, maybe a little beep going on. And 
someone you love, a friend, spouse, a child, a relative, comes and says, I'm going to sit with you tonight. Not really talking to you. And maybe during the course of the night, they're, they're, they're playing Scrabble on their phone. They're reading a book. They're falling asleep. They're not staring out the window. And when you're moments of consciousness, do you think, what a jerk. Why isn't that person focused on me 100% of the time? Why aren't they talking to me? Why aren't they like busy about stuff? Why are they, why are they watching cat videos on YouTube? You're not going to think that. You're just going to be happy that that person's there and wanting to be with you. The Lord's the same way. He's happy if we want to have a conversation and we want to focus and we want to say, hey, look what I did today or look at this cat video or whatever. Look how great I pray. But it's not fundamentally what it's about. He's happy that he's there. we're there because he knows we're there because we love him. That we want to be with him. And even if we get so distracted, we're so stressed, we fall asleep. People, oh, I fell asleep in prayer. I'm terrible. Well, one of the saints that I'm going to keep going back to is St. Therese of Lisieux. If you know about St. Therese, St. Therese said she would fall asleep in prayer all the time. They had to get up like at 4 o'clock in the morning. It's cold and she'd fall asleep. And she said, I don't even worry about it. Because when a child is sleeping, does the father love him even less? No. And when we fall, for a doctor to do his work on us, guess what? We have got to be asleep. Again, that's not an excuse for nap time in the chapel after, after you eat the big thing of rice and gravy. I'm tired. I'm going to go take a nap and, and follow this church. Probably not. But don't beat yourself up. If Therese didn't beat herself up and she's a saint and a doctor of the church, but you shouldn't beat yourself up either because the Lord knows where your heart is. Now some say, all right, well, obviously I'm not praying well. Even though I'm being with the Lord, I'm not feeling anything. I don't feel the Lord's presence. Or if I do, maybe even worse, I feel He's away. I feel darkness and dryness. He's distant. <coughs> you've heard me this say before, you've heard people say before, prayer is not about feeling. You can love your spouse. Do you, do you feel it all the time? Are you always in love? No. But you're there. You're serving each other. You're with each other because love is more about than about a feeling. It's about being with someone. I mean, actually, the great irony is quite often whenever we're the driest or we feel furthest away, the Lord is actually the closest. Look at Mother Teresa. For 50 years of her life, she felt the Lord had abandoned her. She felt darkness. But we all know the Lord was really close to her during that time. It didn't matter what she felt. It could be your darkest hour. You could feel miserable. But a friend comes to be with you. It may not cheer you up. You still may feel that despair and that desolation, but you're happy that friend is there. Regardless, it, it bothers your spirit. It's not about feeling. We've got to learn just to be, regardless if we feel good or bad. The Lord doesn't care. He matters, he, it matters that we're there, even though we may feel that He doesn't love us or He's not there. Worse, though, and this is the real issue. We feel that it's a prayer, a being with the Lord isn't any good because ourselves we feel unworthy. We feel insecure, unlovable, not good enough. Maybe we're in a bad place emotionally, distracted, angry. It could be these things, these things that are distracting us internally. Maybe we really are in serious sin. We've made a big mistake. We've really messed things up. And so we want to hide like Adam and Eve out of shame. Maybe we're deeply aware of our imperfection in prayer. We keep falling asleep. We keep messing up. We keep having a hard time. Overall, we feel like a failure. We feel like a failure in all of our lives. And as a result, the Lord's not going to love us. We're too weak. We're too fallen. We've made too many mistakes. We're unworthy, like we're going to be rejected. And so what do we want to do? We want to run away and hide. We want to give up. The truth is, and this may be the hardest thing for us to understand, that this is the best time to come to be with the Lord. Why? Because in that, 
If we can sit with it and accept our failure and our weakness and our sin and to go encounter him, whether it be in prayer or in confession or wherever, we're going to realize our poverty, that we're empty, that prayer is not about doing, that we can't do this by ourselves, that we need the Lord's love, that we need his grace. It shatters that illusion that prayer is, holiness is, about what we do, about our technique, about our achievements. All these desires to impress God have fallen like shards in the ground. And when we are poor, when we are empty, it's only then that the Lord can fill us up. He can start doing things in us. Ultimately, what I'm talking to you all about today is the little way of St. Therese. And I'll probably quote Therese again more, but I'm going to give you my favorite quote from Therese, and it really sums up her little way. So many of us think the little way is about doing small things in love. Yeah, that's part of it, but it's not what it's really about. It's not what it's really about. This quote, though, sort of sums it up, not only in our spiritual lives, in our prayer, but in our whole existence and our relationship with the Lord, particularly when we're the weakest, we feel like failures, we're the most broken, we feel unworthy and lovable, we might even hate ourselves and want to push away from God. This is what Therese says. Of course, we should like never to fall. What an illusion. What does it matter if I fall at every moment? In that way, I realize my weakness and the gain is considerable. If you are willing to bear in peace the trial of not being pleased with yourself, you will be offering the Divine Master a home in your heart. The trial of not being pleased with yourself. That's the key. It is true that you will suffer because you will be like a stranger to your own house. But do not be afraid. The poorer you are, the more Jesus will love you. I know that he is better pleased to see you stumbling in the night upon a stony road than walking in the full light of day upon a path carpeted with flowers because these flowers might delay your advance. That's the heart of the little way. That's the heart of the spirituality of Therese. We are all going to make mistakes. We are all going to be sinners. None of us are going to pray perfectly or be perfect Christians or Catholics. And so we can do one of two things. We can beat ourselves up and get discouraged and think we're unlovable. Or we can say, you know what? This is what it is. I may not be happy with myself, but the Lord loves me for who I am, not for what I do. Or he doesn't love me, because, love me less because of the stupid stuff I've done. Instead, go to him and say, here are the broken pieces. Here's my emptiness. Fill it up. And that becomes a great path to holiness. That's your genius. You can become holy by doing all kinds of good stuff, but the chances are if you do that, you might become prideful. But the weaker we are, the more imperfect we are, the more, and we recognize that, and there's peace about it. And not pull away from the Lord, but allow the Lord to come close to us, especially in prayer, the more He can fill us up. We've got to get over ourselves. We've got to get over this desire to be perfect, to win the Lord's love. Even in our brokenness and our sinfulness, being with the Lord saying, I ain't got nothing else to give you. I don't even want to be here. But I believe you love me even though I don't feel like it. And put ourselves there and just open our hands and learn to be. To be patient with ourselves. So Sister Ruth sums it up. We have to be there before God as we really are. Maybe upset, angry, worried, emotionally at sixes and sevens. This is the self I set in God's loving gaze. This is the little creature he loves and has to deal with. In this way, what are usually thought of as temptations are turned into real prayer. That's the key. To be with the Lord in good times and in bad. Not having to do, just learning to be. And so something to notice, though, 
And this is something I'm going to stretch through the, the rest of the, 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 the mission together. But if we notice that we have a hard time being with God, being under his gaze, resting with him, being with him, we may also notice that we have a difficult time being with other people. If we have a hard time being with others, there's a good chance we have a hard time being with God. And so, the Lord wants to teach us how to be with Him. The nature of prayer and spirituality as we learn to just be with others. To not have to impress them. To not pull away whenever we make mistakes. To not have to always be doing, but just learning to be. Because this is the way the Lord structured it. He uses us. He wants to use creation to communicate His grace. That's what Father was saying before. You just don't go directly. He uses others, whether it be through the sacraments, whether it be through the church, whether it be through our brothers and sisters or other people, particularly when it comes to love. Why did God give us the command to love? He didn't do it because, well, I got nothing else for them to do. Y'all should love people. That's what's a good thing. No, because that's the way He's going to love others, through us. So if we choose not to do it, then we are not acting as that conduit to bring love to others. And so if we can learn to be with others and love others and rest with them, then we are getting practice. The Lord's teaching us to do it with Him. And of course, the better we do it with Him, the better we can do it with other people. It sort of works both ways. Imagine, hopefully all of you maybe have a friend, or maybe it's your spouse, you can just be with. You can maybe go on a car trip. You won't talk for two hours. You don't need to say or do anything. You don't need to impress them. You don't need to be productive. You don't need to constantly be evaluating that relationship. They know your strengths and your weaknesses. There's no needs for words. You can just rest and be in their presence. This is that mirror of our relationship, that friendship with the Lord. And it's something I'm going to revisit more and more deeply as we go through the other nights. That connection of our earthly realities with the heavenly realities. The Lord teaches us in our human relationships and the strengths and the weaknesses and our openness and our vulnerability and our love to be able to be in a relationship with Him. And so, this is the homework. I always like to try to give some homework. It's not going to be hard. I'm not going to grade you on it because I love you for who you are, not for what you do. And of course, I'd encourage you to maybe do this for the rest of your life, but I can't force you. Sometimes before our mission tomorrow, I want you to set some time to just be with the Lord. In fact, I'll call it I want you to waste time with Jesus. Completely waste the time. Go to the chapel, sit in the back of the church like a good Catholic, do it in your, on your porch, I don't care. To go there and say, Lord, I'm just here to be with you. Maybe you're in a great mood, you're so edified by what I had to say. Maybe you're in a terrible mood, you don't want to come back tomorrow, I don't care. Say, Lord, I'm here, as I am, and I'm just going to be with you. I'm not going to say anything. Not going to do anything. I'm just going to kind of chill. And I'm giving this to you. Just being. Adoration is a particularly great way of doing this. As you're going to see, I'm hopefully talk about this more. Lord, I'm just here to look at you. That's all it is. Or I'm here to have you look at me. That's probably more important. Just be. It could be five minutes. It could be ten minutes. It could be fifteen minutes. It could be a part of your overall holy hour. I'm not saying you've given up doing everything else. But spending some time with the Lord just being wasting time. Now, second, you can actively pray for the grace to be able to be with Him. To be able to just be. The Lord, I want to do. I'm fidgety. Give me that grace to just rest. To just be with you. And understand that that's prayer. The essence of prayer. Give me that quiet, that peace of heart. Pray for it. Ask for it. He'll give you. And then also, maybe try practicing with some friends. 
a spouse, a loved one, maybe one of your children. Hey, let's just go for a drive. Let's just sit on the porch. We don't got to say anything. Your spouse will probably love that. Don't talk. Just be quiet. Just enjoy another's presence. Of course there's love. It's going to be present there. That is going to help you be better in prayer. Use it as a tool to grow in prayer. So in conclusion, I want to give you something to think about, which I think is going to become more important. We're talking about being with God. We're talking about mysterious things that that human language can't fully describe or encapsulate. But if you read one of the great definitions of prayer that comes from St. Thomas Aquinas and sort of connected to St. Teresa of Avila, it's defined as a simple gaze on the truth in love. And you've heard Sister Ruth Burroughs talk about that a couple of times. The use of the gaze, the eyes. This we call contemplative gaze. Contemplative prayers. It's about looking. And the best way to understand this is imagine you're looking at a a beautiful sunset. Or you're looking at a work of art. But you're gazing into the beloved's eyes. What's happening? Your brain's not processing things. You're not realizing, well, the, the light is refracting at this degree, or, or, you know, the reason our irises are blue because of this or that. You're not worrying about all these things. You're just taking it all in. You're receiving the beauty. You're receiving it. You're soaking it in. And this idea of the gaze, of the way we look out, being and looking, maybe it's an inward gaze, and then, as we're going to see, allowing that image to come into us. Imagine that prayer is that gaze of looking at the Lord. So simple. Not very, doesn't it require you doing anything, but just looking and being. As Therese, in one of those beautiful passages, she talks about her prayer that she's a little bird, a weak little bird. And she's sometimes very, very distracted, and she's gone and chasing after worms and doing stuff. But ultimately, she focuses on the sun. She looks towards the sun, and she heads towards the sun. That's all it is. It's so simple, but we make it complicated. To be, and to look, and to look up, be looked upon. And so we're going to get that much more as we go. Specifically, adoration. When you're in adoration, you're looking, you're gazing at the Lord, you're being with Him. You don't need to do anything. We forget that he's looking back at us. There's a passage, I think, from St. Jean Vianney. He was talking to some parishioner, or maybe it was Fulton Sheen. I forgot who it was. You remember who it was? He said, what are you doing? What is prayer? And the guy's like, I look at him, he looks at me. That's all it is. Nothing fancy, just being and looking. Ultimately, this is what heaven is described as, the beatific vision. You see God, you adore him. Not much of activity. You know, heaven, I'm going to get to heaven and I'm going to cook a sauce and I'm going to go fishing with Jesus. Maybe, but probably you're just going to be looking at the Lord and that's going to be enough. So we're going to revisit this a lot and flesh it out. Hopefully I'll make it make sense. But this is what it's about. That gaze, that eyes, that being with, looking upon the Lord and having him look on us. And so we'll close with the glory be. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be world without end. Amen.